invite you this morning to open the word of God to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, our passage is verse 26 to 29 this morning. I'm going to cheat ever so slightly as we read and read down to verse number 31 as we read together. I'd like to ask that you would stand out of reverence for God's word as it is read this morning, if you're able. Let us listen and hear together what God Almighty says through the Apostle Paul as he is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's begin Romans 8. We'll begin in verse 26 and we'll read down to verse 31. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we again humbly come before you through Christ our Savior. Lord, and we ask of you this day that you would give us eyes to see you. Lord, would you give us ears to hear from your word. Father, would you speak to us. Would you encourage us this morning through your word. Would you convict us that we need to trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And trust him with our lives, our hopes and our dreams. It's in the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. One of the things that these verses in Romans chapter 8 that we've looked at that is so clear and obvious is its teaching that this life is not all that there is. There is an eternity coming after this life. What I mean is after you die. For those who are in Christ, eternal paradise awaits us. Glorification, being freed from sin, dwelling with the saints of all time, dwelling together. It's, like, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden, only better. We'll be with each other and Christ our Savior will walk with us and be with us. There is a marriage supper of the Lamb that is to come. We will join in a feast with Christ our Savior. 
all of God's people together. There is a great glory that is yet to be revealed to us. It is coming. It's coming. It's not in this life, but it is coming in the next. It's yet to come, but listen, it will come. For each and every one of us who are in Christ, that day is coming to be together with him, to be changed. But in the meantime, we live in a fallen world, a world where both people and creation have been affected by sin. This life, as we've seen, has struggles. This life that we live in has sufferings all tied in with it. Back in verse number 17, we have seen that we are children of God. Those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. We're heirs of God. We're fellow heirs with Christ. We will inherit eternal blessings through Jesus Christ. And then at the end of that verse, verse 17, we see that Paul says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And as we've seen in verse 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us in the future. The creation groans and awaits for this future glory that is to come, not only the creation, but we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we likewise groan. We wait for, we long for that day, we hope for what we do not now physically see because we want to see Jesus. And so we persevere in the faith. And what we're going to see today in verse 26 to verse 29 is that in that process, we have help. We have help. We have help as we live for Christ, as we live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. We're going to see that we have the help of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives, specifically as it relates to our prayers. And also we're going to see we have hope that God's will is going to be brought about in our lives. And so we are to take courage and be encouraged by this fact. We have help and we have the promise that God is in control. We're going to see working all circumstances for good, all things together. So in these verses, the overall context is still that of giving assurance and encouragement to God's people. Because this life, as this chapter has shown us, is clearly a struggle. There's sufferings in this life. And these verses are going to show us that we have help through the Holy Spirit. And we have help and hope because God is in control. And that's what we're going to see here. For two points this morning. We find hope in the Spirit's prayers. That's verse, uh, or, or point number one. We find Hope in the Spirit's prayers, verse 26 and 27. And secondly, we find hope in God's control. That's verse 28 and 29. So we find hope in the Spirit's prayers. We find hope 
in God's control. Let's begin with the first point there. We find hope in the Spirit's prayers. We see how this verse, verse number 26, ties in with what has been said by the first word that is used. He says there, likewise, likewise in verse 26. So he's saying, just as we are helped in our present suffering by the future hope of glory to come, so also we are helped in our weakness by the aid of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so likewise, just as we are helped by looking to the future glory in the verses prior, we're helped in our present suffering. Likewise, we are helped in our weakness in this present life because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. First off, we see our weakness in prayer in these verses, our weakness in prayer. Likewise, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's a pretty general statement that is made here. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, but the following verses tease out for us what sort of weakness he's talking about and what sort of help we have. So what is our weakness? Well, you could say a lot at this, but one thing that this verse says is the text says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And so remember the context of these verses. He's speaking into this context of the sufferings of this present life. And now, of course, Scripture does speak to us about we, what we are to pray for, right? We know that Scripture speaks to us about things to pray for. And many times we do know what to pray for because God's Word has instructed us. We know that we're to pray for the salvation of the lost. We know that we're to pray for our sanctification, for us to be more like Christ. We're to pray for God, pray to God to ask him to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're to pray for God's name to be made holy in this world. We're to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And we could continue going. Scripture has much to say of instructing us of how we are to pray. There are things we know we should be praying for. But there are also times in our life when we do not know what to pray for. We do not know what to ask God for. And many times these types of prayers are in the context of suffering. They're in the context of confusion. They're in the context of pain. As a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, you know what this is like. In situations in your life where you just frankly don't know what God is up to. You don't know what to say in response to things that are happening in front of you in this life. You see that things are out of your control and you can't quite follow what God is doing, and this is in the context of suffering here, and so you don't know what to pray for. And you come to God with groanings, this verse tells us. Groanings that are so deep in your soul that you don't even know how to express them before God. <laughs> the desires that you have, but you don't know how to verbalize that. You, you don't know how to give words to the situation. 
like many of you in the recent events here of these last couple of weeks, at, especially at Great Meals, I've not necessarily known what or how to pray. Standing in, in front of the high school, praying for the safety, obviously, of my kids that are there in the school and the safety of your kids and all of those that are involved, praying for the safety and that, but simply, at many times, just found myself thinking of this verse here, I don't know, I don't know what to pray. Pray for those affected of these things. There's situations in our life that seem to hit us so deep to the core that we're just not sure how to verbalize and say a prayer to God. I'm not sure what your context is, what struggle it is for you in prayer to pray to God. Maybe it's dealing with aging parents. You want health and long life for them, but you also don't want to see them suffer. You don't want to see them in pain, and so you pray, and maybe you don't know what to pray. You don't know how to pray. Maybe a situation with work that you face with a position or with a possible transition that is upcoming in your life and you don't know necessarily how to pray about it. You don't know what to say about it. Yes, there are times in our lives where we just don't know what to say to God. And that's what these verses are speaking to, those hard situations or circumstances, times of doubt, times when our plans, our dreams have been shattered and we don't know what God is doing. And that's what we see taking place in these verses. But here comes the beautiful thing and it's our second little point here in these verses and that is the Holy Spirit's intercession and prayer. Verse 26, the second part in verse 27. You see these verses teach us that the Holy Spirit helps us the Holy Spirit is actually interceding for us before God. The Holy Spirit is filling up what is lacking in us. Look at what it says there in this verse, second part of verse 26. Paul says, but the Spirit himself, notice the emphasis there on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We have a beautiful thing here. The Holy Spirit is interceding to God for us. Goes to the Father for us. And you might be wondering here as you read this, well, is it the Spirit who groans with groanings too deep for words or is it we who groan with groanings too deep for words? And I think the answer to that is yes, the Holy Spirit groans within us. <coughs> the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And as the Holy Spirit groans within us, likewise we groan in our lives. The point here is that the Holy Spirit goes to the Father and the Holy Spirit helps us. We see something amazing in verse 27 as he continues here. Look at it with me in verse 27. <coughs> and he who searches hearts, that is God the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, because the Spirit, look at this, it's amazing, 
intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. (laughs) Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What a comforting verse this is. God sees the Holy Spirit within us and the Holy Spirit is praying for us and asking for God's will to be done in our lives. When we are weak in prayer, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, praying for us and asking God's will to be done. And that's frankly the part that we don't know what that is. We don't know what God's will is in this situation, in this context. And so the Holy Spirit does, and the Holy Spirit is interceding to God, especially in times of suffering. Again, that's the context of this chapter. We don't know what God's will is. We don't know what to pray for. We want God's will to be done, but we don't know what it is. But listen, here's the comforting thing. The Holy Spirit knows what God's will is. The Holy Spirit does know that. The Holy Spirit knows, and the Holy Spirit is praying for us to the Father. Let me put it like this. In a sense, the Holy Spirit is kind of fixing our prayers. He cleans them up as it is, as they're going up to the Father, and the Father hears them. I can't understand how that works. I don't know, I can't understand that. That's a mystery to me, but that is what is happening here in this verse. The Holy Spirit, quite clearly, I think you would agree with me, we see here the Holy Spirit is interceding for us as followers of Jesus Christ. He's praying to God for us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a comfort in our lives To know that when we're praying to God and we don't even know what to say, that the Holy Spirit of God knows God's will and is asking for God's will to be done in our lives. Here are two quick takeaways from these verses. Number one, be comforted by the fact that it is okay for you not to know the will of God in difficult situations. Be comforted by the fact that it's okay for you not to know the will of God in difficult situations. And you're not knowing what to pray for. Realize that it's the Holy Spirit of God inside of you that is praying to God. Come to Him in faith. Come to Him in hope. Realizing that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you as you pray to God. Number two, be comforted by the fact that God's will being done isn't dependent upon you expressing everything perfectly. Be comforted by the fact that God's will being done is not dependent on you expressing everything perfectly to God in prayer. Because, right, sometimes we say, I I don't know what to pray for here in this situation. (coughs) Excuse me. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask of God. Well, brothers and sisters, let us be comforted that God's will being done isn't dependent upon us expressing everything right to him. God is for us, and God is not there standing with a red pen getting ready to mark what is wrong with our prayers when we pray to him. 
Right? That ought not to be how we come to God. We ought to come to God praying, asking God, groaning before God, realizing and trusting the Holy Spirit is interceding for us to God the Father. That is to give us hope. That is to give us encouragement in our lives because we know when we don't know what to say to God and we don't know what's going on, the Holy Spirit is praying to God for us. It's truly amazing. I imagine if the Holy Spirit were personified and was in one of our prayer meetings, I imagine you probably like me would, hey, I got a prayer request and I want the Holy Spirit to pray for me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> right? I, Holy Spirit, you, you pray for me. I want you to pray to God for me. Right? Well, that's exactly what's taking place in our lives before God is the Holy Spirit, as we see in these verses, going between and interceding for us. Praise God that we can find hope and encouragement in the Spirit's prayers for us. The next thing is text just comes hand in glove right with that verse and <laughs> what is being said. So, so we, we find hope in the Spirit's prayers for us, but secondly, we find hope in God's control we find hope in God's control. Oh, how beautifully these next verses indeed fit in with that, with what is being said, how we are to hope in God and be encouraged in the midst of suffering. Two things that these verses call on us to do in the midst of suffering and in the midst of all the situations of life. Find hope in God's providence. Find hope in God's providence. Paul begins verse 28 by saying, and we know. Paul is wanting to remind the Romans here of a fact, and he's wanting them to dwell on it, think about it, and be encouraged by it. What is that fact? What is he wanting them to think on? That for those who love God, all things work together for good. That for those who love God, all things, pretty encompassing statement, all things work together for good in our lives. In all circumstances that we face, in every single situation we go through, we see in these verses the truth that God is at work. God is at work as he's taking every situation we face, both the good ones and the bad ones, and he's working that together for our good. What good? Well, for our eschatological good. That is the good of our future outcome of persevering us through suffering so that we may also be glorified with him and be heirs together with him, both for our eschatological good, but also for our good now in this life as he is changing us and molding us and sanctifying us through suffering, sanctifying us into the image of his son. God is bringing good outcomes out of all of life's situations. Therefore, we are to hope and trust in him. And that's the point of these verses. 
I think one of the best biblical examples of this truth in the Bible comes from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Genesis 37 to 50. And it's the life of Joseph that is recorded for us. What makes this account so special (coughs) is that we see the whole picture of Joseph's life. We see the whole picture from beginning to the end. And we see that God uses everything that happened in his life ultimately for good. All the situations, all the situations in his life, (coughs) excuse me, the dreams, the dreams that he had, being loved by his father more than his other siblings, the anger of his other siblings, siblings, the murderous thoughts and actions, his being sold as a slave, rising to power, falling from power into prison for something he did not do and was falsely accused and had to wait two years because the cupbearer forgot about him when he went back to the king. How disappointing, how could that be good? It's amazing because we see it all and we know that God was working in it. We know for a fact, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming wearing that beautiful coat, they were not singing, Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya. What plan can I do to bring about your good in this earth? I know, let's send Joseph on a little mission trip down here to Egypt. That's what we'll do. We love him, but we're going to throw him in this pit and kind of sell him off to make some money. That's what we'll do, and God's will will be done and brought about. Right? That is not what they were thinking. They hated their brother. They hated him because their father loved him more than they did, and they hated him for his dreams. His dreams that God gave him. They were not seeking good for Joseph. They were seeking evil. At the end, we see the Old Testament verse of Romans 8, 28, and it comes to us in Genesis 50, 20, and here's what it says. As Joseph, you remember, he was speaking to his brothers when they came back before him, their father died, and I just crack up at that part right before. You know, Dad, he gave this letter, right? He wrote this. He doesn't want you to repay us, right? I'm pretty sure they made that up right before him. But then comes Joseph's statement to them. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God was at work in all of it. God was ultimately bringing about good for Joseph and the people of God by all of these horrible situations and circumstances in his life. Find hope in God's providence because listen, just like he worked in Joseph's life, he is working in your life. Let that sink in for a minute. These are verses for believers Just like God was working in Joseph's life to bring about ultimate good, he's working in your life to do the same thing, to bring about ultimate good. As God did it with Joseph, he's doing with his people today. Every circumstance, every bad thing that happens, 
God works it for our good. <coughs> Let me clarify for just a minute or make at least a statement or draw some boundaries about this. This doesn't mean that in this life we have a Pollyanna rose-colored glasses view on life. When Joseph was in that pit about to be killed by his brothers, chapter 42 after the fact tells us that he was begging them from, the text says, from the anguish of his soul, begging them to free him. Begging them, get me out of this pit. Get me out of here. <laughs> Joseph struggled. He faced really bad situations. And in our lives, we don't need to straighten or try to straighten what God has made crooked. When difficult things come in our life, things like this in Joseph's life, being thrown into a pit, he doesn't say, oh, it's all right. No problem, I can clearly see God is in control here and I'm in this pit and, you know, praise, praise the Lord. I love being thrown in pits. Right? That's not Joseph's response, and that's not our response when struggles come into our life. When cancer comes, when divorce happens, when loved ones die, when tragedy strikes, when babies are miscarried, when friends betray, when shootings occur, when hopes and plans and dreams are dashed, when loved ones walk away from Christ, and on and on and on. We don't simply smile at those things. We grieve at those things. We're saddened by those things, and we cry about those things. But listen... Deep down, we have this promise, and we have this hope. We can't understand it, we can't explain it, but we know it's true because God said it. For those who love God, all things work together for good. Will you let that truth just wash over you this morning? Will you let that truth and promise from God be a balm to your hurting soul this morning? Brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? If we have the very promise of God that he is bringing about good in all circumstances, let me just ask you a question. Who can stop him? Who can stop God from bringing about good in all of our circumstances? Can evil, can bad circumstances, bad situations, can death? No. Nobody, nothing can stop God from bringing about good in our lives. And I'm going to have to stop there because I'm jumping already in Pastor Adam's territory that's Two weeks removed, next week is the next verse, verse 30. One more thing I want to point out from this verse before moving on. Did you know, notice in the text who this promise is made to? 
Do you notice that in the text? It's not made to everyone in general. God doesn't say for all people. He is working good. It's a specific group of people. The text describes them in two ways. First, for those who love God. Second, he describes them for those who are called according to his purposes. In other words, this promise is only made to Christians. The promise is for those who are in Christ. See, you can describe a a, a Christian both of these ways. He just describes them very generally for those who love God. Right, if you're a believer here this morning, we could describe that of you. You love God. Right, you say, I love God. I love what he's done for me through Jesus Christ. I love him. Another side of what he describes Christians is what he says, for those who are called according to his purposes. That is those whom God has called to do the things that he has purposed to do. I want to do something here before moving right on. What's the flip side of the coin? What about for those who do not love God, who are not called according to his purposes? Basically, we could say here, what about for those who reject the gospel? What about those who reject Jesus Christ? Well, then in all things in this life, all things are not working for good. All things in your life are not working for good because your end is not to be glorified with God and gathered together with his people. Your end is actually destruction in a real place called hell. And so the best that you will do is this current life if you're not trusting in Christ. Of God's common grace that is coming upon you on this earth. That's the best it will be for you So I think also we could take, take this verse here as we flip it. Oh, and then we begin to see, well, those people that are not trusting in Christ, all, all the things in here are not working for their eschatological good and their good of their life right now. They're just living life, and Scripture says elsewhere, they're actually storing up wrath for the day of wrath. And so for those who are not trusting in Christ, we must take the gospel to them. We must share the gospel with them because this is their end. And before trusting in Christ, this is our end is destruction. If we don't trust in Christ, an eternity in hell awaits. And if you're here this morning and you'd be honest with yourself and you say that I am not trusting in Christ that he died on the cross for my sin. Please, I would just say first of all here this morning that, that Christians are not people who have it all together and that's what Christians are. Just get to know Dave Morse a little bit and you'll, no, just, just making sure you're, right? Just get to know a Christian a little bit and you'll know that to be the case. But listen, here's what a, tr- a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who is trusting that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. And a Christian is somebody who says, I realize that I've broken God's law. And I'm a sinner, but I'm trusting in the one who kept God's law, that is Jesus Christ, and who died on the cross in my place. 
My only hope of salvation is him. And I pray this day that if you're not trusting in Christ, that even right now, you would believe and trust that Jesus died on the cross for you. That you would receive the promise of God made to you here in these verses. For those who love God, for those who are called according to his purposes, all things in this life are working together for good. Well, in verse 29, as we wrap up, secondly, our second little point here is that we find hope in God's salvation. We find hope in God's salvation. So not only his, we see in his control, we find hope in his providence, knowing that God is over all things, but we find hope in God's salvation. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see the flow of Paul's thought here in verse 28. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know this is true. We know God is working good for his people because God has set his love upon them. And God's predestined them to be holy. In other words, we know God is going to ultimately work good in our lives because he's determined it to happen from the beginning. You see, the foundation of this promise in verse 28 is supported by the fact of God's sovereignty in salvation. We can rest assured and take comfort Because it doesn't depend upon us, it depends upon God. When Paul is giving support here to this promise, he doesn't say, we know that this will happen because we know that you will be faithful. (laughs) Because we know that you are strong and you will bring it about in your life. That's not how Paul supports verse number 28, that God is working good and bringing about good. Quite frankly, what sort of comfort would that give you? We know God's working good because you're strong, because you got it all together, because you're the one here doing all of the work. No, Paul grounds this promise in the foreknowledge and predestination of God Almighty. Basically, this verse is teaching us that God set his love on us before we were even born. Those whom he foreknew, the text says. To foreknow means to know beforehand. It means to choose beforehand. It's an Old Testament type of word referring to God setting his covenant love on a group of people. God foreknew us, and it says here, God has also predestined us. Many people don't like that word predestination. I'm not at liberty to not like it because it's in the Bible. And if you're following God's word, you get, what does it say? We receive it, right? We don't mold it, it molds us. God has set us apart from the beginning. He's chosen us. In other words, we love him Because he first loved us. Our foundation for hope is not built upon our actions to God, but God's actions to us. 
Our foundation for hope is built upon God saving us, not we saving us. Notice the context here for just a minute with which Paul uses this concept of predestination and foreknowledge and foreknowing. He's using it, brothers and sisters, to give us hope. You see that in these verses? God is using these truths to comfort us. God's using these truths to encourage us and give us hope in the midst of suffering, to give us hope in this life because we know that God is going to bring it about. And if you're going through suffering, if you're going through difficulty, that is a fact that you want to embrace. To know that I can't see it, I don't understand it, but I know God is in control and I know that when my grip on him is tight, is loose, is mediocre, is tight, it's loose, it's mediocre, God's grip on me is always tight. That's the hope we have in the midst of suffering in this life. Verse 29 knows oh, God saved us, and we see that God saved us to change us. It says to be conformed to the image of his son. See, God's determined this to happen. What? He's determined here for us to be transformed. He's determined for us to be changed. Just very similar to Ephesians chapter 2, isn't it? We're saved by grace through faith, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Putting that together. God has saved us to change us. You know that we're going to be changed because just as we celebrated in particular last Sunday, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of each and every believer. And so you better believe it that God is going to do his work in our lives. At the end of verse 29, we see an, in order that God saves us, God changes us in order that he, that is Christ, in order that Jesus, we could say, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is the first fruit, so to speak. He's the firstborn of which there's going to be many to follow. All of those who believe in him, all of his people, all of the church will be changed just like Jesus was changed. So we have a great reason to trust and hope in God's promises. Why? Namely, because God is the one bringing them about. We find hope in the fact that God is in control in this world. Even when things seem completely out of control in the things that are happening, we know somehow, someway, God is working it together for good. We find hope in the fact, brothers and sisters in Christ, the Spirit prays to, for us to God intercedes for us when we don't even know what to pray for. Will you trust in Christ today? Believer, will you take your circumstances that you are walking through and trust in Christ in those circumstances? Will you not so much try to figure everything out to try to figure everything out that God is doing in difficult circumstances but trust in him that he is at work. We're a people of faith. We have faith in God. We have hope. We have hope in what God is doing in the return of Jesus Christ. Who hopes for what he sees? People who place their faith and hope 
not in what we have done, but in what God has done for us. We're people who place their faith and hope not in ourselves or somebody else, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in him. Our hope is in the cross and the one who came to die on the cross and spill his blood and raise, be raised from the grave who died for us. That's our hope. Our hope and faith is in Jesus of Nazareth. The one who told us, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you thanking you for these verses that teach us of your control over all things and all circumstances. Father, would you help us as your people to be encouraged and to be strengthened by your word to us. Father, clearly we are weak Our hearts, we know, are prone to wander away from you. Father, in our lack of faith, we pray that you would grow our faith from your word. Help us to trust in you in the midst of all the circumstances of our lives. You are mighty, you are great, and you are our God, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.